We want to see you. How about at Jesse Brown's Outdoors Facebook page? Maybe Instagram. Both operate under the handle Jesse Brown CLT, and we want to see your hike, hunt, fish, climb, travel pics. We love to share and hope that you do too. Plus, giveaways, discounts, and celebrating our friends is a part of the charm. Again, Facebook and Instagram at Jesse Brown's CLT. Bill Barty, your host here on the Carolina Outdoors. Come on in. The listening is fine. The Carolina Outdoors is now in session. And as everyone knows, we like to talk about the outdoor adventures that are available here in the Carolinas and beyond. In fact, around the globe. And part of that celebration gives us the opportunity to talk to people that are making outdoor things happen. And that's what we do at Storytellers Night at Jesse Brown's Come Here, A Neighbor's Adventure. And many of these stories are adventure-oriented. Many times they are life experiences. They are travel. They are exploration. They are challenges, obstacles. They make us laugh. They make us cry. But nonetheless, they're always personal. And our next guest here on the Carolina Outdoors is just like that. She grew up in a small town in northern New York, but went from that small town to a life of adventure and travel and authorship because she wrote a book about it, Do I Get to Wear That Neat Hat? And that's the title of her story, That Neat Hat. Join me in welcoming Helen Hosley to the Carolina Outdoors. Helen, welcome. Well, thank you, Bill. It's really a pleasure to be with you today. Well, we're great uh, grateful for you being on with us, and we're really grateful for you being on hand at Storytellers Night. That is April 27th, starting at 6 o'clock. And, Helen, you're going to tell us your story or a part of your story, and we're looking forward to talking to you now about a bit of a preview of that. Tell us about your background. I mentioned you grew up in northern New York. Tell us about Helen Hosley growing up. Yeah, Helen Hosley growing up. Um, well, my full name is Helen Siskavich Hosley, so I'm uh, my I am Lithuanian. My grandpa great my grandparents uh, immigrated to the United States in the early 1900s, so I'm the second generation. Uh, here. And we, in the Adirondacks, a very small mining town called Lion Mountain, New York, and it was known for its iron ore. And um, by the time I was born in the 1960s, the iron ore company was on its decline. And, um, you know, so, you know, there wasn't a whole lot for for us kids to do. So we were outside all the time, whether we were playing baseball or out exploring the woods that were near our house. So, for me to make the jump from, you know, uh, a youngster and then eventually as an adult into the National Park Service, it was, I, I took to it like a duck to water, really. Well, and I want to ask you about that because, um, and per the title of your story and your book, um, the National Park Service, your career there, but before you joined the National Park Service, you went on a seven-month adventure trip um, and I guess that was in the late 1980s tell us how that came about because that's a big deal to kind of uh, drop everything and just take off on adventure 
Yeah, actually, um, well, growing up in those Adirondack Mountains, I realized that there was more to life than just in the Adirondacks, as beautiful as they are. And I always dreamed of skiing the Rocky Mountains. And ah. so when I became a young adult, I um, I quit my, my full-time job. I worked for Marriott um, when I got out of college and got really tired of working the 70 and 80 hours a week in a food service venue. And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'm, I, you know, quit, quit the job. I found a friend who would be willing to travel with me. Uh, so we embarked on a seven month journey that started in November of 1989 to zigzag down the Rocky mountains and ski all the places that I dreamed about and what my friend Ginger dreamed about. So we hit, I can't remember how many how many places? I can say that we zigzagged from Banff, Canada, all the way down to Taos, New Mexico, and hitting all the beautiful, you know, ski areas uh, that one could encounter through Montana and Wyoming and Utah and Colorado and New Mexico. And then when it got too warm to uh, ski, we basically put our skis on top of the car, and then we started hiking in national parks. And then in the in the interim, I heard from the National Park Service. I on a fluke I applied like in January of nineteen ninety. A mutual friend of Ginger and mine was a National Park Ranger. He's a geologist in Yellowstone and I was there at the time and he said, Hey, I have an extra application. Why don't you fill it out? And since I was traveling and had a whole bunch of time in my hands, I'm like, sure, I'll fill it out. And you know, four months later I get this phone call or I call my parents and my, parent, my mother says, oh, there's this man who wants to give you a job. And I said, what do you mean someone wants to give me a job? I've been traveling. Who, who in the world would know where I am? Totally forgetting that I applied. And, um, and sure enough, it was Glen Canyon Recreation Area, um, gentleman by the name of Dan Han, who was the supervisor of the interpretive ranger program there, said, well, we got your application and we'd like to offer you an in, in, um, summer seasonal position here at Glen Canyon. And for me, I had no idea where it was. I, I knew it was in Arizona and Utah somewhere. And at the time, I was in New Mexico. And I quickly got out my map in the days before GPS and everything at your fingertips and your phone. And I said, oh, yeah, I, okay, I'm I'm over in Taos. I can be over in, you know, at Glen Canyon in the page area the next day or so. And, and, and I dropped off my stuff and talked with Dan. And, you know, he asked me over the phone, though. He said, you know, he gave me a little bit of background as to what an interpretive ranger did because I really didn't have a clue. My background and degree is in hotel restaurant management. And so he said, well, you know, you'll be mostly working at the visitor center. You'll be telling people where the bathrooms are. You'll do a little interpret, you know, campfire interpretation, you know, stories about the area. And I said, well, I have, I have two main questions. Number one, am I going to be working with food at all? <laughs> like, took him aback and he's like well no you won't be and he says unless you you know go around the camp the campground to drum up some business and you know you can ask people for some food type of thing um tongue-in-cheek of course and and i said okay well then here's the deal breaker i said do i get to wear that neat hat and ah. he says you absolutely do and you'll get to own <laughs> one when you're finished and i said okay you have yourself a ranger for the summer and and that um, that one phone call literally changed my life because it was like I found my calling with the National Park Service. It was, um, you know, fit me so well. Um, my love of the outdoors, 
my gift of gab, if you will, and, you know, just being out with people and love of studying nature and history and all those um, things that, you know, people envision as a national park ranger. They think, oh, what a great job. And you know what? It really is a great job. Well, it is one of the most demanded jobs out there with a long list of people who just want to get into the system um, because uh, once they're in the national park system, well, you know how that works. You can you can work a job and then hope to go to other places that maybe you want to work as you transfer um, around in the national park service if desired. If you're just joining us, the voice you hear there is Helen S. Hosley. She's the author of Do I Get to Wear That Neat Hat? She's also one of the storytellers at Storytellers Night at Jesse Brown's on April 27th, starting at 6 p.m. You are all invited, and Helen, to catch everyone up. And then I'm going to ask you some questions about what you just covered, because uh, a young girl growing up in northern New York then you are zigzag skiing across the Rocky Mountains in some wonderful snow, I'm sure. And then you land a job at Glen Canyon National Rec Area in Utah, which is essentially the desert. Um, how did those challenges and those new adventures along the way from, from you know, skiing uh, on a seven-month epic trip to then landing a job in the desert Talk to us about the challenges of that particular adventure and, and what you had to go through to learn the ways of not only the desert, but also dealing with people as a as a ranger. Well, yeah, thank you. That's a really interesting question that you asked, and I'm so glad you asked it because, um, you know, when you think about becoming a national park ranger when you are successful, you know, you think, oh, automatically, you know, all these great traits and you do have, you know, good skills. Otherwise, they wouldn't have, you know, the government wouldn't have hired you. But ultimately, since I'm from the East Coast and the desert was a foreign environment to me, I had to learn how to survive in the desert right. because of the, you know, the, the completely different climate, the lack of water, you know, so I very quickly learned that I didn't go anywhere any day without at least a gallon of water with me. Um, you know, so that was, that's basic rule. Number one, survive in the desert, you know, water <laughs> is king. And, you know, and then not only that, but then looking at the different landscape and when you're out on a trail in the desert, you're looking for different clues in order to stay on a trail, you know, in the, right. in the Adirondacks, you have, you know, either some paint on a tree or some type of, you know, landscape markings, that type of thing. Um, landscape tape um, markings but in the desert it's like you, ha you have cairns right and and you know rocks piled upon rocks because you have certainly plenty of rock out there and you know so it's the little things that was an adjustment for me in addition to um uh well learning about the entire area and figuring out what what was going to be my expression as a national park ranger other than you know being you know, polite to the people that come in to the visitor center or who are launching their boats onto Lake Powell. Um, but mm -hmm. what was it I was interested in? You know, was I interested in the people that came before us? Was I interested in, you know, the the flora and the fauna? And, and so I had the opportunity while I was there for the season to really study the area and get to know it um, more than just a pass-through. 
And I, be, I came to love the desert. I always thought as a mountain girl that I'd be like, oh, my God, I could never live in the desert. But I thoroughly enjoyed living there when I was a ranger. It was a, just a, a lifetime experience and, and um, you know, special, really special. Well, and fittingly that you could not live there but loved being there, that was a reminder to everyone listening. That was a seasonal assignment. And uh, when that ended, you went from the desert to uh, what many would say is, uh, uh, I guess it is, the headquarters of the National Park Service, Washington, D.C. So you went to the big stage um, as a ranger there on the National Mall. What about that adventure, being a ranger there? Yes. Well, you don't really think of having national park rangers in an urban setting, but the fact of the matter is there are, you know, Boston, New York, uh, Washington, D.C., for certain, they do have uh, they do have national park um, rangers because there's a lot of national park sites about our historical heritage. And um, what was really striking to me when I became a ranger on the National Mall was the um, level of interpretation that I had, I had to up my game because when you're out West, this, this is my humble opinion. Others rangers might say something else, but when you're out West and you have just these beautiful vistas, you're looking out over, right. And the sun is setting on these gorgeous orange rocks and it's just breathtaking. So it's easier to be an interpretive ranger there. Right. And one of the comments that one of the seasonal rangers made the, I think the first or second day I was going through my orientation at Glen Canyon because they were bemoaning the fact that they were at a recreation area as opposed to a full national park like Grand Canyon or Yosemite Yellowstone. And they said, well, at least we're not, you know, at the Washington Monument in D.C. And, <laughs> you know, and I didn't really have much of a reference, right? I was just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Whenever you're, you're upset that you're not at a, at a national park, I'm just happy to not be in a kitchen. <laughs> and um, so when I got to the National Mall, and I, I have a love of history, it was, I was like a kid in a candy store because you have your pick of everything from uh, you know, early Native American to, um, you know, Revolutionary War times to present day politics. And and you really have to paint your picture with words as opposed to just those beautiful vistas. And and so I found the challenge of being a ranger, yes, in the Washington Monument, when you have only uh, 60 seconds to deliver a message to an elevator full of people about what they're going to see at the very top, that's extremely challenging as opposed to you have two hours to talk about dinosaurs in Glen Canyon. One thing we left out along the way, again, a seven-month skiing and adventure trip, followed by an unexpected job from an application that was put in to enjoying the challenges and time in the desert before heading to Washington, D.C. But, Helen, you were also... Uh, smitten somewhere in here where you fell in love, which just added to the adventure as well. Do you want to tell us about that? <laughs> well, I'd like to say when people ask me what my book is about, I say it's a love story. And there's a love story on many levels. The first one is my love of skiing and the love of the outdoors. Um, and so that's the first part of my book and talking about all the places that Ginger and I skied and the adventures that went along with that um, to 
you know, discovering my love of the national parks. And then when I was a ranger on the National Mall, um, within two months of me starting working, there was a, another young man that came and uh, um, to be a, a temporary ranger. So there was different statuses, of course, within the national parks. You have seasonal, temporary, and permanent status. And I was a temporary, and so John came as a temporary. And like I said, within two months, I laid eyes on him, and he was he immediately I fell in love with the man. We went on our first date and. In May of 1991, he proposed to me in July, and we got married in February of 92. And last month, we celebrated in February, we celebrated our 31st anniversary. And the rest, as they say, is history. And, That's right. <laughs> and we're going to get to meet you in person at Storytellers Night at Jesse Brown's Come Here a Neighbor's Adventure, Helen S. Hosley. That neat hat is her story. We'll find out how Ginger is. We'll find out um, uh, what you're doing now, all on hand Thursday, April 27th, starting at 6 o'clock at Jesse Brown's Outdoors. Helen, thank you so much for joining us here on the Carolina Outdoors. You're absolutely welcome, Bill. It's It's been a wonderful pleasure. Well, we look forward to seeing you that night, April 27th, and hearing more, learning more, and celebrating your story more. Look forward to that as well. Everyone have a great couple of weeks. We'll see you soon. We're going to be back on the other side. You're listening to the Carolina Outdoors.